Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Primetime. I'm Bharati Jagdish. Now, Democrats took a majority in the Senate in the U.S. While they lost the House, the result was very close. Overall, it was a better result for Joe Biden than expected in the U.S. midterm elections, allowing him to avoid becoming a lame duck because he held on to his leadership and his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping, even recognized him as a legitimate counterpart. To talk more about the repercussions of all of this, as well as Donald Trump's bid for the 2024 presidency and the repercussions on this part of the world. We're joined now by Pushan Dutt. He is Professor of Economics and Political Sciences at INSEAD. Hi, Pushan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what do you make of the power dynamic between now and the next presidential election, considering what we saw unfold during the U.S. midterm elections? So the elections turned out to be much better than anyone had anticipated for the Democrats. The Democrats kept the Senate. They performed well in governor races, but they did narrowly lose the House. So all of us, including myself, we were expecting that, you know, the Democrats would lose very big in this and there would be like a red tsunami, but that didn't happen. And all of a sudden, the face of like high inflation, bad job approval ratings for Biden, anxiety about crime and immigration... Now, why did this happen? I think the Republicans ran on a policy-free platform. So instead of giving solutions, they were talking about election conspiracies, they were promising authoritarianism, and they were sort of vilifying a bunch of uh, fellow Americans and politicians. They also ran very weak and crazy candidates, which turned off moderate Republicans and independents. Uh, the last thing that, of course, had happened was that there was the Dobbs decision from the Supreme Court And once that decision had, many of the states tried to put severe restrictions on abortion. So this galvanized women and young voters. So going forward, uh, the Democrats should not be dancing on rooftops. uh, But, you know, this was a pretty good uh, outcome for them, all said. Mm. But what does it spell for the future, really? So what's going to happen, essentially, is that the, the Republicans have a very, very narrow majority. So they need 218 seats to actually claim the House. Currently, they have 220 seats. Okay, so they've picked up the House, but uh, within the Republican coalition also, there are lots of factions. And Kevin McCarthy, who is likely to be the Speaker, is going to have a very difficult time keeping all these factions together. So we should expect a lot of chaos, which is going to happen. Uh, the second thing is that because the Republicans hold the House, they have subpoena power. So they will launch multiple investigations, you know, they can try to freeze all all legislation. But I think Biden will be smarter than this. He will sort of make sure that he woos some of the moderate Republicans and uses them to sort of keeping the legislative process going, you know, keeping the support for Ukraine going. Uh, And of course, if everything else fails, then he will do what Obama did or Trump did when the the other party was holding uh, the Senate in the House which is, you know, governed through executive orders. Yeah, a lot of analysts predicting that. And you talked about support for Ukraine. There is some concern that Republicans' control of the House will affect funding aid for Ukraine. You don't expect this to happen? So there is a narrow Republican majority in the House uh, which are questioning the funding and support for for Ukraine. So... While the support for Ukraine remains strong amongst the senior congressional leader, and it's actually much stronger in the Senate as compared to the House, 
Kevin McCarthy himself, the likely House Speaker, has signaled that uh, that in the House they could actually end or limit the spending and the aid flowing to to towards Ukraine. So what is going to happen if they do that? Well, I think Biden will sort of pull out all stops in terms of, you know, again, going and convincing the moderate Republicans. He, he already promised to invite all the congressional leaders from both parties to the White House after his trip to Bali and to Egypt. So there will be essentially a coalition of Democrats and moderate Republicans which will keep the support for Ukraine going. That's sort of the optimistic scenario. Mm. The pessimistic scenario, of course, is that, you know, uh, the Republicans completely unite in the House and they, they sort of block all the legislative agenda. But then they will start using, the Democrats will start using some legislative tricks. Biden will start using some executive orders to make sure that the support for Ukraine continues. In regard to the U.S.'s relationship with the Asian region, of course, a lot of people, I think, in this part of the world heaved a sigh of relief because Biden has always been quite friendly to Asia and a lot of analysts foresee a deepening of relations or at least a continuation of what Biden has been spearheading as he has been in charge. But moving forward, how do you expect this dynamic to change, considering also that the U.S. will be going through a presidential election in 2024? So the first thing I'll take is about, you know, I think it's going to help that Biden and the Democrats held onto the Senate. Why? Because the Senate actually confirms the cabinet officials, the ambassadors, and that's going to play a crucial role in relationships uh, of the U.S. and Asia and in the foreign relations in general of the U.S. with the rest of the world. So just uh, if you just recall what happened in the G20 summit at, at Bali, uh, Biden and President Xi agreed to maintain communication on a broad range of global issues, right? So this was a positive. These included climate change, food security, economic stability, so what did they agree to? They said they were going to empower senior officials to sort of uh, and create these working groups to make progress on specific issues. Now, you need these officials to be confirmed by the Senate. And because the Democrats control the Senate, you know, they'll have senior officials, ambassadors uh, in place. The second issue is the spirit to Asia. It started under Obama. OK, then it, it just died under Trump. So this pivot to Asia is likely to continue. And in fact, if domestic policy becomes a complete quagmire in the U.S., then what will the Biden administration do? They will spend the next two years more on foreign policy, okay? which means they will do exactly the opposite of what Trump did. Trump used to treat allies with contempt. Uh, but under the Biden administration, I think they'll accelerate the pivot to Asia. So more progress on trade deals, cooperation on climate-related issues and global security. And since you mentioned Trump, Mr. Donald Trump has announced he will run for the presidency again, despite Republicans telling him not to do so now and perhaps wait for the Georgia runoff in December. There's also the shadow of the January 6th Capitol attack last year and legal headaches. So what do you make of his announcement? So one of the questions is, why did he do it now? Okay, so there are multiple reasons for why he did it now. The first thing is that for Donald Trump, everything is about himself, and he likes to keep himself in the center. So declaring his candidacy would again uh, you know, lead to greater coverage of Donald Trump. The second and I think more important point is that Trump is in deep legal peril. So there are a bunch of Justice Department cases against him. One is the one that you mentioned, which is to do with the January 6th attack. The other one is about the fact that he kept a bunch of classified 
documents. And again, at the state level in Georgia and New York, there are some cases working. So it was imperative for him to announce his candidacy because he wants to buy some legal protection. He's counting on the fact that people will see these investigations and think that these are highly politicized and these are unfair, these are partisan. In fact, we saw that the Attorney General, Mary Garland, had to appoint a special counsel to keep himself at arm's length because he's a Biden uh, appointee. And lastly, uh, in the elections, many of Trump-backed candidates actually lost, right? So mm. Trump has to somehow change the narrative, reassert his dominance, and announcing his candidacy does all of these things. So are his chances of success lower this time round? Uh, that's a really hard question. Yeah. So, so the party establishment is hoping and praying that uh, Trump will go gently into the night. But there's nothing in the past which tells us that he will actually do so. Okay, so uh, so while the Republican Party might be done with him, okay, Trump is far from done with them. So the fundamental problem is that Trump did a hostile takeover of the Republican Party, and the base is still with him. So 30% of the electoral electorate will follow him anywhere. So his enthusiasm is still high at his rallies. So he's very confident that he can run the same playbook mm. and repeat what he did in 2016. So uh, what did he do in 2016? He basically split the field. There were a bunch of people who were running against him. And, you know, Trump was picking up 30, 40 percent. And he got a plurality and he sort of primed. The same thing is happening today. OK, uh, there are a bunch of people who are who are in the fray, but there are just too many of them. The only way that the Republicans can push Trump off the stage is if they reunite very quickly behind a uh, single candidate who can actually compete with Trump and can go toe-to-toe. But I'm getting a sense of deja vu, which is that Mm. we've seen the story before and we're going to see the story again, that Trump will be the Republican Party nominee. Right, right. If he does become president, and with Asia being more sensitive to Chinese growth and financial conditions, economic conditions in the U.S. as well, how do you expect that dynamic to play out in the region vis-a-vis China and the U.S.? So I think it's going to be a lot more chaotic. So if we just recall that Trump was a very chaotic president, he was deeply unserious. He was easily manipulated by world leaders, and he would see all issues through a personal lens, not a lens in terms of, is this good for the U.S., is this good for the allies, is this good for the region, but it was essentially about himself. So the world barely sort of made uh, through to uh, four years of Trump, and I'm not sure if it will actually uh, you know, survive four more years. So Trump basically never understood the importance of allies. He was always transactional, and he had a visceral dislike for international cooperation. And now things are very tense in this region with the you know the, the crisis in the Taiwan Straits, the fact that there's a trade war going on. You know the financial system seems to be under strain with rising inflation. Now, uh, Asia really benefits from a stable financial system, functioning trade, and the U.S. is actually responsible to a large extent for providing these things, what economists call global public goods. If Trump becomes president, I think this is going to be very difficult. So we have to understand that these things are fragile. The Mm. first Trump presidency revealed the fragilities and that the second one might actually break the system. Well, uh, we have to acknowledge that it is 2024 that we're talking about. Between now and then, though, uh, what would you be keeping your eye on and what should people in this region really be trying to observe and gauge in order to figure out how to position themselves? 
on some of the big issues, which is the which is you know how the the Ukraine conflict is is moving, uh, and how that does that sort of affect oil prices and uh, you know food prices, uh, which are which can be sources of instability not just in in these large countries but also in many of the poorer countries who are you know food importers and oil importers. Second thing to keep keep our eye on, of course, is you know uh, you know how China exits from the zero COVID policy. I think that will have lots of ramifications for the world. And finally, from the U.S.'s perspective, uh, I'm always keeping an eye on you know how are all of these election deniers, whether they're rising in power or whether they are sort of uh, fading in power. So Winston Churchill once said that Americans will always do the right thing only after they've tried everything else. <laughs> okay, so I think we have to be a little bit patient. The U.S. voters actually have have uh, narrowly, you know, delivered uh, uh, results in favor of democracy and against authoritarianism in the last three elections. But it, the margins have been tight, so we still have to keep an eye out on that. Thank you very much for that, Pushan. Pushan Dutt, he's professor of economics and political sciences at INSEAD. Thanks for joining us on Prime Time. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.